another episode of Side Hustle City, the podcast that helps you turn your side hustle into your main hustle with your hosts, Adam Kaler and Kyle Stevie. All right, guys, we're back again with a little uh, pre-New Year podcast for everybody to listen to to close out the uh, 2020, infamous 2020. So we're lucky today we've got Joe Stevie. Sparring capital, sparring real estate. He's kind of like the 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 real estate man of Covington, Kentucky, of all northern Kentucky. Let's just say that. He's a good looking guy, isn't he? I know. He's got a healthy beard going on. Hey, it's been about three months. It's my COVID beard. It's his COVID beard. I cut my COVID beard, but I should have probably kept it for the winter because it got a little cold. I trimmed mine and the guy at the gym goes, Dude, you look a decade younger. I was like, that sold, not drawing, not growing yeah. another one. Hold it, hold it down with the with the no beard. Oh, I got that gray right at my chin. Dude, I'm telling you, I told him, man, before I said, it, in a year, you'll see one piece of gray hair, and then the next year, your whole bottom of your beard's gray. Oh, the side of my head. It's crazy. Yeah, that's why I get mine faded real tight. So it's more and more each day I see popping up. I try and yank them out, but they just keep coming back. They keep coming They're pesky. Back. I know pesky. Um. So anyway. Joe is Kyle's cousin. So Joe Stevie, Kyle Stevie. So we're lucky we got we got two Stevies here. And actually they both went in on a project together. We did. Uh like an old like a bank building. It's what five stories? So it's six story building. Six stories. Um converting it to a seven story building. So we'll actually do a rooftop deck and bar restaurant. We have an operator that's inches away from signing on to his lease, but uh it's pretty exciting. Um, nice. That'll be fun. Yeah, we got some other things coming in. We're in the opportunity zone, so we've had a couple of companies reach out about um, that. Some are at the early stages where they don't need full floors and how they can get uh, the domicile they need so that they qualify so they can get the opportunity zone funds to um, get in. So if, if you're not familiar with an opportunity zone, uh, part of the 2017 tax, the Jobs Creation Act is what it's called, 2017 or 2018, I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. All you need to know is that basically what happens is that you get a huge tax break if you invest in real estate or in a business that operates out of an opportunity zone. Um, they were set aside by local legislators throughout the country. You can find them in your – you can just go to your state, just go like, for us, Kentucky Opportunity Zones. And it has a map with uh, the areas covered. Which so, pretty much the entire state of Kentucky is an opportunity zone. Oh, you would think. It's like 88 counties. Or you, something like that. We have more counties than anybody in the in the country for what, because they didn't want they went, didn't want any state capital any county capitals to be more than a day's horse right away. That's why they did it back in the eighteen hundreds. Oh wow! Yeah, it's ridiculous. But the fact is that a lot of them aren't. So like Covington was very aggressive about it, and they a lot of the cities covered in an opportunity zone. So it's created like this huge opportunity to come in and take buildings or op, invest in invest. Let's say you guys you guys were just starting out, reversed out. And you wanted to bring investors in. Well, the benefit of it is I sell a million dollars in shares at, of Apple. Um, this year, well, it's closing out, but I, I, I normally would have to pay 20% capital gains because if I, I was considering long-term capital gains, 15%, 20%, depending on my personal income, that's what they tax it off of, out of. Is that If you make up to like $400,000 and you only pay 15%, over $400,000, whatever it is, you pay 20%. Yeah. Well, with this program, you could roll that that million dollar profit into reversed out. Okay, as long as reversed out had all the or tax a building, yeah, 
Or a building. Yeah. Yeah. As long as the building's easier because it's it's staying in mm-hmm. in the city. But for the easier f- to value also. Right. And it's easier to to f- to follow the money. For reversed out, you gotta have, you know, employees. If you were if you had employees, employees would have to operate out of here. You'd be if your production, your production had to be done here, whatever it was to qualify. So you take the a million dollars in profit in three years, instead of paying fifteen percent. You pay eighty five percent of that fifteen percent. Now it's ninety um, percent of that fifteen. percent So if your tax was a hundred thousand dollars, you would only have to pay eighty five hundred or eighty five thousand dollars. Right. But the beauty of it is, is that the company you invested in, if you hold your money in them for ten years, or the property that you had, or you just or you can just keep it in a fund, and as long as the fund keeps investing inside of an opportunity zone of some sort, whatever the profit is at the end of that tenth year. In that building or that company, that's tax free. So if you've got thirty percent equity in a building, or you got thirty percent equity in a business, and they sell for a million dollars, okay, you've got your you get your million dollars back is what you assume at the sale, and then you get thirty you get that thirty percent at three hundred thousand dollars is now tax free. There's no capital gains paid on that extra three hundred thousand dollars, and it was made, even though it's hated on horribly by Biden. It was made basically for the idea that we need to get more in long-term investment in specific zones, specific states. Now it's been manipulated. I have, there's a story about a yacht club or whatever, big harbor that had the same deal, and they had million-dollar boats in there. They really didn't need it. It was a, it was a kind of a gift from a. Well, you're going to have some corruption. There's going to be some some people who who try to you know change up the you know rules a little bit or bend the rules. Right. Play the right. system. Play yeah. the system exactly. But like you look here in Covington, there's like Covington's on the up. It's it's up and coming. Yeah, if nobody knows where Covington is, I mean, I know a lot of our listeners are from the Cincinnati area, but essentially downtown Cincinnati and Kentucky are divided by a river. So our downtown in Cincinnati goes right up to the river, pretty much. And Kentucky is some people call this like the Brooklyn of Cincinnati. And it's very bohemian, I would say. You've got breweries over here. You've got um, a lot of arts-type people. You've got, uh, you know, my agency's over here. We're doing our podcast over here. It's very, like, young, hip, artsy, and it kind of, parts of it look like New Orleans. Parts of it look like, you know, it, it, you cross that bridge and you're in the south, you know? But it has that small-town feel. It too. definitely does. But there are pockets of depression still. And so Covington— Doing what Covington does and is being forth forward thinking, said, okay, let's let's try to not have these pockets of depression. Not quite doing the um, gentrification, but let's let's make people come in and invest. And that's what they and that's what they want to do, and that's what they've done. Now you can contrast that across the Licking River, again, across the Ohio River from Cincinnati and Newport. Newport's got like two blocks. Yeah. Very similar demographics, very similar downtown scene. Covington's a little bit bigger, but why not? Why wouldn't they, why would, I don't understand why they didn't get more aggressive with it. Yeah, it's pretty well. Covington's opportunity zone goes from basically the river to 20th street, 21st street roundabout, um, mostly on the west side of Covington, west of Madison, but everything from the river to 12th street is in the opportunity zone, save Mainstrass, which is the little um, small town entertainment area that already had you know, giant multifamily investments, uh, both with River House and the John R. Green. Which, which are is, new, right? Which are new. I mean, I lived there when the, there wasn't much over there, but, you know, bar fights. 
And 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 well, now that's what that's what happens when you have a bar district that has one girl for every ten guys. Yeah, it's it wild. Is, it was. It's all wild. Northern Kentucky people. Oh, Northern Kentucky University kids. I know, it, was, it was almost worth paying fifteen dollars more a beer to go up the Mount Adams. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so you guys, and not only are we in a hub zone like here, or not only are we in an opportunity zone, we're also in a hub zone, a historically underutilized business district, which if a company moves in here, and probably your guys' space too, if they do government work, their stuff gets moved, their application gets moved to the top of the pile. So that's helpful for a lot of people, because the hope is, is that they win these government contracts and they employ people from the neighborhood. So that's another positive thing that you could potentially say about this area. So- you guys, you know, recognizing this and recognizing the fact that we're in an OZ, uh, you decided, hey, there's an opportunity here. Um, and actually, I bank at the bank well, on the first floor. The thing you guys bought, we well, go over there all the time. Joe's magic, Joe's network was how we got in, in that building. So I'll let him discuss it. I didn't even know the place was for sale. It wasn't. It, it never hit the market. So it was uh, a friend of a friend that is now a friend um, that actually sold us the building. And he came to another good buddy of mine, uh, Tyler Watkins, who runs Work Architecture, and said, hey, I'm, I'm looking to sell this. You know anybody that wants to buy it? And Tyler came to me. He's like, hey, you, you run a real estate firm. You know anybody that might want to buy it? Yeah. Like, well, let's talk Let's talk yeah. about that, too, for a second. Like, So, so your background. Uh, you know, I love bringing people on the show that built their own thing you know, from scratch, essentially. I mean, you did that. You became a real estate agent, right? That was like the first step or was there, were you into real estate? Were you? Um, not really, uh, kind of. So I actually, you know, I, I went to Thomas Moore for a year on basically a full ride, uh, hated it, transferred to NKU, was in business school at NKU, didn't really like it, didn't go to class, um, Ended up taking a couple construction courses and loved it. Um, so I was interested in going. So I went to all my construction classes and actually graduated with a construction management degree. Um, and that was end of 2007. You're the second person on the show we've had with a construction management degree from NKU. Yeah. <laughs> so who was the other? Our guy? other buddy, he was, uh, he went to, um, he went to Corbin Brown's his name, but he went to NKU. Now I can't remember what the name of the company is that he works for. Uh, but he's he does a little landscape side hustle. So yeah. he started cutting grass, and now he's got you know people working for him, and it, it's kind of starting to blow up. That was my first side hustle. Was it? It's dude, I'm telling you, it's legit. You know, working on yards, doing that kind of work. It's just people underestimate it. You know, they think it's like a kid's job or whatever. I started cutting grass at 13. Me and a neighborhood buddy. Um, I think we probably had like 20 yards. Wow. By the time I was 18, and we made killer money. Yeah. You know, I mean, for a 13 year old to 18, I mean, yeah, but you can scale that up. Like once you get to the 20 yards, you can leverage that and turn it into something else. Like, honestly, you, you could actually turn that into a legit full-time business doing landscaping. 100%. I had uh, the buddy that I started it with actually went full force, bought all the nice mowers, the nice trailers, everything else. And at, at one point in time, he probably had a hundred yards he was cutting wow. on top of his regular job. But you know, I, I was sort of brought up, you know, following my dad's lead. My dad always was like, hey, uh, if you want something, you got to work for it. Um, and, you know, when I was 13, my older brother was 16 and my parents gave him a car. Mm. And it was a 1986 
brown Caprice Classic. I mean, it was one of the ugliest cards you've ever seen. <laughs> and at 13 years old, I was like, when I turn 16, <laughs> that's not going to be me. Yeah. So, you know, I know what I wanted. I wanted a nice car when I turned 16. So, you know, I had the grass cutting gig. I worked at a golf course and I worked at our swim club. And I saved up $16,000 by the time I was 16 to wow. buy the car I wanted. Nice. And that taught you a lot. It taught oh, you yeah. like what you can accomplish. Like if you actually put your mind to it, start putting away money, you can actually buy the things that you want. Exactly. And, and it sort of transferred to what I was doing um, once I got out of college because in 2007, the market crashed. So being a construction management major, trying to get a, a decent job with a Hemmer or a Turner or mm. a Messer, any of the big commercial contractors, they just weren't hiring. They were laying people off. You know, yeah. it was the great recession. So you, for me, I had to pivot and figure out something to do. So this is when you decided to go, uh, you know, get into real estate as a, as an agent or so, now you're a broker, right? No. So I, I actually started a small remodeling company. Um, I was fortunate enough. My, my dad had bought a four family uh, in Wallace Woods here in Covington. Um, before he bought that, I actually uh, bought a single family home with a buddy of mine in college. Um, and our plan was to flip this single family home. We bought it the beginning of 07. So we paid about 30 grand too much for it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, once the market, you would have just waited a year or two, you would have had a lot of inventory that you could have chose from. Oh yeah. I made oh, that yeah. same mistake. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, with him, so I bought that as a sophomore in college. So I was 20 years old. It was when they were giving loans to anybody, you know, I, I remember walking in with, with my friend Chris, no money down, kind of like exactly finance one hundred percent. They came to me and they're like, "Well, uh, uh, how much money do you make?" And I was like, "Well, I make about four hundred dollars a week at my part time job while I'm in college." And they were like, "So sixty thousand dollars a year?" I'm like, "Well, I'm not sure that math adds up, but sure." <laughs> and, the, and literally, the lady said, "Don't worry about it. They never check." Wow. Okay. I was like, well, how much money do we have to put down? She's like, nothing. I was like, Fantastic. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Like, Sign yeah, let's up. go. Yeah. We'll buy it. So we bought our first house. It didn't end up going to a flip. Um, but it was more of a learning thing for me because they teach you how to manage people in construction management. They don't teach you any hands-on type of stuff. I don't teach you how to like finish drywall. No, no. They don't teach you anything hands-on. I might've had one hands-on class in my three years in that program. Mm. Um, they taught you how to estimate and, you know, problem solve stuff like that. But um, the first house we bought was my learning curve. You know, I actually just sold that house four months ago and had to oh, redo wow. <laughs> Everything that I had done 15 years ago when I bought it because all the work was shot because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, but it was a good learning curve. My dad bought a four family down the street and I was able to run that as a job. And I actually s built up the construction side of the business first. So I was, I've always been construction first. Um, started flipping houses and, and realized that – I couldn't get into the houses when I wanted to get in them. So mm. I'd call my real estate agent and be like, 
hey, there's a house just came up. I need to get in it today. She'd be like, I'll get you in on Thursday. I'm like, it's it's going to be gone on Thursday. Yeah. And so I, once we bought a house, it was the same way. They were taking 6% of everything that I was making. And, and I did my houses right. They looked great. So they'd sell immediately, and 6% of my profit would be gone. Yeah. So – you know, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to take that lady's job. So I went out, got my real estate license and started buying and selling my own flips. Yeah. I mean, you're talking, you know, depends on the price of the house. I mean, here locally, I mean, that could be $50,000, you know, depending on the price of the house. You know, I mean, that could be a lot of money. I mean, if you're, you know, selling million dollar houses in Mount Adams, you know, that's a, that's a heavy chunk of change oh, if yeah. you're flipping up there. Or if you do commercial and... You expect the oh, realtor to yeah. expect the realtor to actually call somebody. That's and, right, and they don't, and they wobble their chubby butt down. And they they have they have your workers hang their sign on your thing, and then you find the tenant, and you negotiate the lease, and then they email you right away. Hey, you owe me six percent. I'm like, whoa, 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 you didn't have put forth a thousandth of this effort when we asked you to help us find a tenant. But now all of a sudden that the tenant's been found and is finalized, now you're going to get paid for doing absolutely nothing. So that's mm. that's he's got a competitive advantage because at least he's going to go out and put some effort into yeah, it. Yeah, I've always considered doing it, like just going to get my uh, real estate license. I just don't know why I, I never did it. Like I, I, you know, I was part of a team that built software that every freaking realtor have has probably used at some point. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, I just never got my license, you know, and I'm out here doing the exact same thing, buying houses, renting them out. You know, I've been doing that for 15 years now. Um, but how did you, so once you became a real estate agent, and I want people to understand this, like there, it sounds like from your perspective, there is a competitive advantage. If you want to buy houses, flip them, rent them, you know, there's so many different ways you can approach real estate investing you would recommend getting a real estate license in whatever state that you're actually going to be doing these flips in or whatever. I mean, it worked well for me. I don't know if it would work well for everyone. Um, uh, you know, for me, it was more about adapting to my circumstances. Um, you weren't taking the, you weren't necessarily becoming a realtor to make money from other people's deals. You were, you were becoming a realtor to save money on your own deals. Correct. Correct. And, and I, I've kept along with that with, you know, every deal that I made, you know, the brokerage I was working for was taking half of everything that I earned. So say I saved that 6%, mm. my broker was still taking 3% of that 6%. And I think it took me a little too long to figure out, hey, I can get my broker's license. It's just going to take some time and some effort on top of everything else that I have going on to go get my broker's license to cut that next person out. So, yeah, a lot of people don't know how the structure works of a real estate brokerage, right, or an agency. So you've got a broker in an office for whatever it is. It could be Coldwell Banker. It could be Remax. It could be whoever. But there's a broker there. That broker is going to take a piece of it, right? Yep. And now does the um, does the franchise get a piece of that, or is the broker paying the franchise? So the, usually it's the broker that's paying the franchise, but they each – uh, different brokerage has their own splits with their agents. Um, when I started, it was 50-50. So everything that I earned, I kept 50%. They kept the other 50%. Uh, and I'll be all the broker owns all the listings, all the sales. 
the agents are just agents for the broker. He is the the main guy in every deal. Right. So for me right now, I have around about eight agents. Um, I own all their deals. I mean, they work on their own, but they are an agent of the broker. And how did you go out and – so how did you move from, hey, I just want to do this so I can save money – so that's how you first started out. You were like, I don't want to pay 6%. Well, now you're still paying 3% or whatever it is to the broker. And now you're like, man, I need to cut the broker out now. So you go and get your real estate brokerage license. How long does it take to get a, uh, just to become a realtor versus how long does it take to become a broker? Well, I mean, it, it differs for every person. If you wanted to do it extremely quickly. I think you have to be in the business for, don't quote me on this, maybe two years and do X amount of deals before you can go get your broker's license. And then you have to go get, you know, take your broker's courses, take the tests, do your projects and and, and do it that way. Um, to get your agent license, you could probably get it in a month. I mean, most of the stuff now is, is on Hondros College or whatever is where you got to go. Hondros has a... Uh, sort of the monopoly in, in the state of Ohio. Um, that's who I took my Ohio brokers courses through. Um, and online, you can do it at your leisure, but if you really wanted to bang it out, you could bang it out in a month fairly gotcha. easily. But it's it's worth it. But if you're starting out and you're like, hey, I want to get into real estate, I'm thinking about becoming a realtor so I could save my 6% or 3%, you still got two years probably in, in deals that you have to do before you can even think about going and then getting your broker's license. Yeah. And it's, it's not as easy as it looks. It's a lot of unnecessary stress. I mean, you just got to find the right brokerage that works for you. If I had a good brokerage that I worked for when I was an agent that wasn't taking all my money, um, I probably would have stayed there and, and not gone out on my own. Um, mm. It's just I'd never found a brokerage that worked for me. But now you own your own agency, so you're not paying that franchise fee to a Remax or no. anything. So you are you're getting 100% of the money outside of what you have to pay to your agents if they go out and they do a deal. Correct, and uh, you know I, I, I never got in it to make money, um, and all the agents I have sort of happened organically. Um, I would say my brokerage is mainly focused on construction or flips or multifamilies or investment properties. I have maybe one or two agents that just do uh, single family sales. The rest of them are investing themselves. They're rehabbing themselves. I, I sort of see that as my niche mm. of uh, if that's what you want to do, you want an agent that knows that stuff. Oh, that's actually pretty cool. So if I'm an agent, I go out and get my my license like you did, and I'm like, man, that's 6%. Like, Or, you know, I, I need to go be an agent. I don't pay that 6%, right? But now I'm going to go to a brokerage that pay, that's 3%. I'd rather go to you and say, hey, Joe, here's my situation. And you're like, I already know, you know? And and now what are you what are your agents getting out of that? Like so they you were paying three percent to your broker back in the day. What are what are these guys paying? So I only charge my agents four fifty a transaction. Oh wow. Um so I'm not taking a percentage. Like I said, I'm I'm not in the brokerage business to strike it rich. Uh I don't offer the same types of training that you would get at like a Keller Williams or something like that. Um 
but I give all my money back to my agents. You know, I'll supply signs, um, and my phone is always on to answer questions, solve problems, whatever it may be. Um, but I want to give the money back to them so they can invest in themselves. You know, I want go getters. I don't want somebody that wants to, me to hand them deals. Yeah, so I want like somebody a, going out after it. So you're like a perfect secondary market. You you don't you you you're not looking for people that are you know fresh to the real estate agent game. You want you like people that are frustrated with. All right, I was here. I was paying thirty five percent per transaction or fifty cent first cent for a transaction. I've got a good network. I'm gonna go. I want to go mono, not monetize my network a little bit higher than what I'm getting right here. So what can I do? Oh, I can go Joe's. He's only charged me four fifty per transaction. That's a lot more money in my pocket. Yeah, if you're just a part time, like, hey, I'll I'll dip my toe in real estate. I'll do it as a side hustle. This would be a good way. You'd be a good place to go. Yeah. For somebody and, who's and, just like, you know what? I don't want to get too serious about it, but. Hey, if I can make an extra few thousand dollars a year, why not? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. I mean, if he doesn't get, if, he, if you're not getting the training, then maybe you want to go to the big place first and then come to Joe when you know what you're doing. It makes it easier on Joe then. That's less, that's less questions he's answering because you have the experience. And it's, I mean, it's, it's his deal, but it's your deal and you're making, you're the one that's going to make the most money out yeah, of it. Yeah, but like just knowing you, you seem pretty laid back about this kind of thing. So if I'm a realtor and I'm a new realtor and I come to you, I'd feel a lot more comfortable. I wouldn't have uh, as much personality pressure personality-wise, yeah. you know, going to Joe versus yeah. going to, you know, Sipsy or something, yeah. you know, where I might, I might feel a little bit like pressure on me and some people just don't perform good under pressure. Well, we you talk know? about, we talk about systems all the time and how positive they are, but they've got a negative side to it. And that's kind of the negative side is that, you know, if you're not making your numbers, you're going to be in deep shit. Well, like, and, and plus, and they, uh, of some of these people just inundate you with process. You feel like there's just too much to understand. And every time you go to a new brokerage, you've got a whole new set of rules. You've got a different uh, structure when it comes to how you get paid. And it can be, I mean, just like leaving a job and going to a new job. You know, the HR department, and each one's going to have yep. different your rules. Deal, your deal flow may suffer. Yeah, your deal totally suffer. Because if you don't, yeah. it's some, I mean, I don't know this for a fact. I have no experience whatsoever in, in real estate uh, agencies or brokerages, but... I would assume that a lot of these places are the longer you've been there, you're going to get first dibs as certain like company deals. Unless someone's coming directly to you and says, I want to work with Joe. I want to work with Adam. Mm -hmm. There's a potential that you're going to be on, you're going to be a low man on totem pole when it, for a while, when it comes to getting deals that are actually going to be worth your time. Yeah. Well, that's pretty awesome, man. Like, I think that's a, that's a really good model. It seems pretty unique. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard anybody really doing it. I mean, there might be folks out there, but I've, you know, I haven't even heard that. That just seems like, hey, look, I'm not too stressed out about my brokerage. Look, it's just here because I do deals and I need to be yeah. a broker. But look, if you want to come in here and you want to make some money, I can help you out. I can give you some pointers. Go out and get your own deals, and I'm only going to charge you 450. That sounds like a great damn deal. <laughs> I don't want. I I don't know why so many people allow their brokerages to take so much money, and I think for entrepreneurs, I mean, everybody in in this room is an entrepreneur. Um, we just have a different mindset than, than other people have. Yeah. Oh, I believe that 100%. I mean, it's a mindset thing. I was actually on a phone today. I, there's a, there's a startup here that I got connected to through Centrifuge and they're actually working with CMHA, Cincinnati Metropolitan Housing, which is HUD essentially for Cincinnati. Uh, one of the guys actually used to work at the CMHA in Columbus, which is still CMHA. Um, but you know, he found a lot of inefficiencies in, in the way things are done. And these guys are essentially creating the Zillow for people who have Section 8 vouchers. 
and they need to go out and find houses. Wait, wait, are you saying there's inefficiencies in like government run agencies? So weird, isn't it? Like a novel concept. <laughs> like I, you know, every time I go to the DMV, I just breeze right through that line. You know, it's crazy. It's like, about as shocking as the end of Usual Suspects. Yeah, I mean, my mom worked for the IRS for I don't know twenty years, and she never complained about inefficiencies. You know, yeah, it's yeah. wild. My, my dad used to say, "Where there's confusion, there's money." That's true. Yeah. Go look at DC. That's it. Yeah, the bigger the problems you solve, but sometimes they don't want to solve those no, problems. No, no. It, 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 the, the, the unsolvable problem is the rich problem. Mm. That's the one you. That's the one you want to get involved in. Yeah, yeah, the one that they can never figure out how to fix. Yeah, I mean, you might be famous for fixing the problem, but all you get is the fame. The people below you are the ones making all the money off of that's it. That's a fact. Yeah. Now everybody's broke because you're you're smart and actually cared about people and did the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> See how that works, guys. But anyway, so you guys, uh, you guys took advantage of this opportunity zone situation. I think we've got a lot of things going for us in Cincinnati right now. First of all, Cincinnati has the least amount of time on market for any listings. In the nation. In the nation. In Columbus, I think, is even number two. Yep. And I think one of the reasons that that's happening is because you've got investors who are not getting yield in some of these bigger markets anymore. Like they're just not cash flowing on these properties because the prices of these properties, as interest rates come down, property values go up. I mean, you, it's always balanced, yep. essentially. Like you think you're getting a great deal because interest rates are low. Well, they just jack the price of the place up 20%. So you've got places like New York, Chicago, LA, some of these bigger markets, Texas now, Texas is crazy overpriced. So these people are like, where do I find cash flow properties at? Midwest. The Midwest. I mean, I could go over the West side right now, buy a four family for under $200,000. Yeah. I'm paying it at the interest rate I would get it at because it would, wouldn't be commercial because anything, again, over five units is commercial. So you end up with a commercial loan. You have to put more cash down. So your cash on cash return is going to be lower. So you want to try to find properties, four families and less. Duplexes would work. So anything less than four, I could go to the West side right now, $180,000, get myself a four family. If they're available, I mean, they're, they're gone in three yep. days, but if it worked out, you'd be paying 750 a month, maybe 800 a month for the mortgage. You're renting each one of those units out. And if they're one bedroom units, you're probably getting good tenants, older tenants, nobody with kids, you know, that kind of thing. Not that I would discriminate against anyone who has <laughs> kids. Right. But, um, hey, I was a little heathen too. I mean, we messed up some apartments back in the day. So you get four family, four, say, older people, even if they're on subsidized, even if their units are subsidized, you're still from Section 8 probably getting 700 a month each yep. for those. So now, you know, you're making good money. You're at $2,800 a month and you've got a $700, a month mortgage payment plus expenses, which you probably want to add a little bit on there, $200 a month or something to cover that. But that's cash flow. Yep. Crazy cash flow right here in Cincinnati. I mean, I think a year ago you could have found a boatload of those properties. During the last part of this year, I mean, you can't find any of them. No. Um, Investors, stay out of Cincinnati. <laughs> Keep your ass in there's, Columbus. or There are no deals here. For wherever you. the heck you are, like Chicago, stay stay in Chicago. Well, I was telling people <laughs> I was telling people about that, um, I guess it was like two episodes ago or something like that, where you and I looked at that, that 87 unit or what, a 78 up unit up in Newport. And when, like we had our three o'clock time slot and the two o'clock time slot was a group of investors from New York and the four o'clock time slot was a group of investors from Los yeah, Angeles. Good luck. Yeah. And he, we talked to the guy and I said, what, what value are you like? How much are you looking for on this? He's like, mm, probably about 7 million. We're like, that's, 
I think we did the math right there, and it's like, I was like, this is like a this is the, with this cap rate, this is like probably like a five point six million dollar property. They don't even care. They their cap rate like three percent cap rate, and they're like, yes, three percent. I think it ended up being like I did the math. Kyle and I did the math, and we're like, dude, that's a that's like a four point six cap. He's like, yeah. It's like, well, and yeah, we're out wasting our time. And the hill was, dude. The the hill, like I kid you not, the, these people paid seven point eight million for this property. The hill was sliding. They had to build a retaining wall like 200 yards, 200 yards long by about 15 feet tall. When we looked at it, they had a power pole tied to a deck. <laughs> what? With <laughs> rope. It wasn't even like chained to the deck. Welcome to Kentucky. Was yeah. this in Kentucky? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the pole was at like a 60 degree angle. Yes. And they had a rope tied to the pole that was tied to one of the six by sixes of the deck of one of the units Jeez. to keep it from falling over. How does the building department not come out and see that? Or How does an investor group look at that and go, this is a great investment for this us? This is a great deal. We're, su- we're super stoked. I know you guys are going out there. You're like, man, 8 9% cap, you know, like, oh, I'm not touching it for less than 9%. Just, it wasn't by anything under 10. It yeah. wasn't by the river. It wasn't. It was in South Newport, which, you know, is not exactly being like being in Buckhead in Atlanta. No, it's not Manhattan. No, I was like, what? Where in what that, is going you, on? How the hell do you? I'm how, telling you. How do you logically compete with that? You can compete with that. You can raise money. And you can tell lies, and you can blow smoke up people's asses. But how do you logically, as a business person, look at that and say this is a great return for what we're wanting? Yeah. Now, if you've got tens of millions of dollars and you're in a fund and you've got to distribute that, you've got to invest that money because you're on a tight time schedule. I get it. They're going to get. They're going to make not, not as much as they should have. They'll probably make money on it though. But for guys like us that are going to have to, re, you know, not promise, but promise at seven to eight um, percent, or you know, or a guaranteed ten percent, or whatever it is. You, you, yeah, because you got investors, you got yeah, people that are like guarantee anything. Yeah, but yeah you, you look you got at numbers your, you got to meet, and you're like, how in the hell are we ever going to do that with the, with these nut knuckle knuckle knuckleheads <laughs> coming in? I was going to say nutbags, and I got stuck. Yeah, so I got really, I got kind of in commercial real estate when I bought this place and I didn't know a whole lot about commercial real estate. You know, I come from the residential side of things and everything, but what I've learned is commercial real estate seems like a way better investment (laughs) than residential. Like the tenants, because the tenants are generally professional people or franchises or something like that, that are willing to sign like 10 year leases, you know, and, and it works out really well, especially for people like Osh, who, you know, both you guys know Osh, and he was, you know, one of our first guests on the podcast. You know, he's telling me, he's like, you know, hey, Adam, if you ever want to just learn about commercial, let me know. Like, I'm, I'll am i sit down with you and, you know, give you the ins and outs of what I do and all this other stuff. And, you know, he did a great job on the podcast, obviously. And I know he got a lot of people excited. It's one of our, our better, I think we've got more downloads for that episode than any episode, even our intro episode. Well, he's... Joe and I and Ash and a couple other guys are trying to launch a fund right now. River River Riverside Partners and um, like he's the commercial guy. Like he's he's been throwing deals. We just we have to get that deal first, and then we got to raise. We got to get your 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 building done. So yeah, let's yeah. go back to that. Let's co- let's talk about that. So you guys, is this your first commercial deal? I think it's your first commercial deal, right? Uh, it's Kyle? my it's it's our first commercial deal together. Together, okay, gotcha. And and. You guys got an opportunity to buy this building. It's a really cool building, this old white building. It's a, Has it always been a bank? I know it's got the vault and everything. Yeah, in it's there, always obviously. been a bank. It's always been yeah. a bank. So really cool awesome. building. It's got two old vaults in the basement that are awesome. It's still, it still has deposits from the 50s in it. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. 
Wow. So you guys bought this building. There's already a bank in there. They don't plan on moving or anything, do they? No. So actually, they just extended out. So we, Republic will be there for at least the next five years. It's got first first financials redoing the building right next to it, right across the sixth street from it. Yeah, Huntington and U.S. Bank. So, like, I think more money is going to pass through that little intersection of Covington. And, and Forced anywhere. is down there, too. Forced Bank or whatever they call it. Forced, so, yeah. for our corner, which is the corner of Six and Madison, is U.S. Bank, Huntington Bank, First Financial, and Republic. And First Financial just made Covington their headquarters, right? They did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're Kentucky they're headquarters. The, the bridal building, the old bridal ah, building, gotcha. right across the street from us. But I— uh, from what the bankers say is more money travels through that intersection than any other intersection in Kentucky. Wow. I believe it. I mean, it's as closest to the biggest metro area. I mean, Cincinnati is probably the biggest metro area close to Kentucky. I mean, Louisville, I think, would be second. Yeah. I mean, Northern Kentucky, it, it always goes back and forth. Northern Kentucky, Louisville. Like, who's the what's the fastest growing area of Kentucky? Yeah. And, uh, it's you know, growing just, in divergent, divergent directions. Louisville has become a lot more um, liberal leaning. Um, a lot more of what you would consider open-minded. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati is progressive, and in, in yeah, Cincinnati, Cincinnati not is so much. Not yeah. Everybody is progressive in Cincinnati is on the take at city council. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, we've had some problems, but no, everybody that's that's progressive in Cincinnati is in Cincinnati. Like yeah. they're in de- the urban core of Cincinnati for the most part. And then as soon as you cross this river, it's Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the, the South. Re- it's the Re- you entered the South. It's right? the Republican. Which I love. It's the Republican headquarters. But people think it's Repu- Kentucky, it, yeah. people think Kentucky's super Republican. It's not. I think it's more libertarian than anything. People here just I are like, look, I don't care about your crap. I don't care about your stupid. Just leave me alone. Leave me alone. Yeah. I just want my horses. I want to shoot my guns. I want to drink my bourbon. And just leave me alone. Like, yeah. go do your thing. Whatever. I don't care what you do. I like you if you. Uh, I like you as long as you don't tell me what I'm supposed to like. So anyway, yeah. So you've got you guys decide to invest in this building. So take us through the steps of of purchasing a commercial property. Most people probably are not going to be able to go out on their own and buy property. Any like unless it's residential, like a four family, like we were talking about before. If I want to go out and I want to buy a six story building with a commercial tenant and rehab it and spend all this money that you guys are spending. How does that process work? It starts with rich friends. <laughs> and having a couple screws loose. Um, <laughs> Liking misery. You know, it helped to have a bank in the building um, because we were able to ask them questions. And if we we're going to do a project at that building, especially a, a large project that, you know, should make them look better, it makes us look good they're there to answer all the questions and and Republic really did a good job of telling us what we needed and giving us a good rate and and working with us in all aspects of the job. You know, the, the other uh, company that helped here was the catalytic fund. They helped us with our underwriting, making sure that the deal was viable and they helped us with some gap financing um, to cover the build outs for when the tenants actually move in. Uh, on top of that, the city wanted to have something that was a landmark almost in, in the city of Covington. So they helped us out as well by giving us a, a loan with favorable terms. And I would say one thing I discovered, you just mentioned the city is it helps to buy something in a, in a city like Covington, a smaller city like Covington versus a place like Cincinnati, like they're not even going to take your, your call in Cincinnati necessarily. They don't care. Like you got 
what, eight Fortune 500 companies over there. You know, they're just like, ah, we're more worried about what Procter & Gamble is doing. Yeah, and it, it goes back to the small-town feel of Covington. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's nice when you can call up the economic developer and have a conversation with them about what, what you want to do. And, and Covington is very approachable as a city. Um, even with me, I've, I've not always agreed with some of their decisions, especially with – you know, my property down here. Or how about the short-term rental crap they just pulled? <sighs> just more hurdles, more regulation, it is. more. It is. I, uh, I don't like know, any. More paperwork. It's just like, you know, it, it kind of gets away from the, the, the mindset of what people think of as Kentucky. You know, that yeah. libertarian, leave me alone, let me do my thing. You know, they're just adding more layers of government. You know? Yeah, and it's always a couple bad apples that ruin it for the rest of us. And, and it seems like, uh, Everybody focuses on those one or two bad apples and doesn't see all the good that the rest of us are doing down here. Yeah. Um, the producers, people exactly. that are actually down here doing stuff. Well, like, yeah, that, that aren't slumming it out, that, that redo buildings and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars doing it to open their business and make money and invest that money back into the neighborhood doing another building. Yeah. So I would say if you're going to go do a commercial building – I wouldn't do that first. I would most definitely, if you're going to do it, you need to be educated. You need to have done something in the in the past. Um, even if it's like what what I did with um, mixed use, like a small building where you had a storefront in the bottom and two small apartment, two bedroom apartment and a be, uh, one bedroom on top, something along those lines. And you better have a mentor. You better have someone that you can bounce questions. So we had Joe on here. A uh, few episodes ago. And again, there's mastermind groups. We talk about mastermind groups on here. If right. you're looking for a mentor, there's probably a real estate mastermind somewhere close to you. For this exi- for this particular one, it was out of Joe's wheelhouse. Joe does syndications. He's probably the the, the, the leader in educating people on syndications in the entire country. And again, syndications, if nobody was listening to you know our, our episode with Cam on it, Syndicated deals are essentially going out and finding a bunch of investors to all invest in like an LLC or something that then goes out and buys a property. Yeah. Well, the LLC will be based, they'll be created particularly for that property that they purchase. But like Joe introduced me to Osh. So I bounced a lot of ideas off of Osh when it came to the building. I mean, you heard him give me a bunch of shit about not having guys because I wasn't being aggressive enough. But what I would recommend is that you have to have that kind of background two, three years of having done deals, having been able to have, I mean, even before we got into it, Joe had a pro forma already marked up, mocked out that they use off of an Excel sheet. So we had a rough idea, rough estimate of what we were looking at. Um, I would say we were probably about 80% accurate on those numbers, 85%. I'd say, yeah. And then like he has connections with the catalytic fund. Catalytic fund had his awesome printout like 10-year projections of what the what was what with market averages with estimated time to flip uh, units to have them ready for tenants estimated time to negotiate with tenants all these different things so that we could look at we could go down and say okay i think we can make more money here so our net operating income is going to go up or our expenses are going to be lower here so our net operating income is going to go up and then we could say we were thinking okay so we're doing this hotel covington's expanding uh, the IRS site's going to be bringing awesome. in thousands of people to live down there. They've built all the, they built a brand new apartment community in Main Strauss. There's a lot going on. Yeah, the cap rate's going to start go- compressing a little yeah, bit it's gonna in, this, get in this section because this is going to be 
uh, a safer place to invest in. Because the values of the properties are going to go up. Rents are relatively going to stay the same. Like, yep. But, you know, property values are going to go up, so cap rate has to come down. Yeah. So uh, I think we're we're pretty well positioned as well, having one of the premier buildings in Covington. Um, I just heard recently that uh, River Center, the two towers right on the river, fully leased. That's crazy because people were – that's why I'm probably getting so many people here now yep. at the co-working space looking for just an office because River Center is fully leased. Yep. I know I have uh, another buddy with a co-working space on 5th Street, and it's been fully leased for the past year. Wow. Is that Oddfellows? Is Oddfellows. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony? Mil- Milburn yeah, Group. Yeah, Tony yeah. Milburn, yeah. Yeah, I went in there. That's a nice space. Um, so we have we we have ours our, our our places. Like I said, we're in the intersection of where the money goes through in Kentucky, and then we're two blocks or block and a half away from a federal courthouse. So we're really attractive to law firms. So when it came in, it's a five minute drive into downtown Cincinnati. From when you guys are in the thick of it too, I mean, you yeah. guys are in the 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 happening part of Madison Avenue. Yeah. I'm more south, kind of towards the the cathedral and. You know, MLK, I'm in like the real opportunity zone back here, right? But industrial is doing really well right now. People, industrial, I mean, when I was thinking about buying that place down in Miami, I was negotiating with them and I said, look, why should I, you're not going to pay me 8% of my money while this construction's going on, or you're not going to pay me an interest rate on my money while this construction's going on. Meanwhile, I could be getting in a syndicated deal on industrial. Industrial's killing it right now. Yeah. I could make 12% on something like that. With my money, and I'm going to invest in this and not make any interest. Like you guys are going to have to cut back this, the 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 amount you want me to pay for this. Like it, you know, you got to negotiate these kind of things. And you know, they think, oh, this is his only deal. You got to go into every negotiation with a backup plan, with something that you could say, look, I could do this, or I could invest with you guys. How are you going to sweeten the pot? You know, what are you going to do? You know, my deal down there is really cool. It's a, a mixed use type of place, and it sounds like, I mean, you guys are going to have somewhat of a mixed use place. I mean, you're going to have this bank on the first floor. You're going to have offices. And then you're going to have a restaurant and a rooftop. Yeah, class. That's that's phase one. In class A offices, we're still we're still dreaming about phase two, which is going to be down the road. Yeah, which would be more um, condos and apartment type. So deal. when you guys put a deal like this together, if somebody wanted to invest in a deal like that, you know what what is the minimum that you would consider? I mean, I know you know having a ton of people on any cap table is a pain in the ass because you just got all these investors. You got some people who are cool and just like, hey, look, I don't care, like. Let it roll, you know? And then you got other people that are like every weekend calling you like, hey, man, what's going on with the building? What's happening, you know? Well, at yeah. first it started out as going to be a, like a pure syndication. And so we went through our network. And then I'll let Joe explain, like, because most of the people came through Joe's network. So we wound up syndicating 20% of it. And I, I don't know what kind of is a joint venture. I don't know what the official name of it is. We just worked with an attorney and made it legal. That's that's all I know. Yeah. So we have shout out to Tom Fisher. We have five. Yeah. We have five shares. One of the five shares is Spartan Capital, which is syndicated out to some of Kyle's people, some of my people. The other four shares, because this was our first deal, we gave straight equity to. So we have. Four shares that are split up between maybe six to eight people. So what does the capital stack look like on a building like this? I mean, how much debt, like what percentage of the building is debt or is it 100% investors? I would say 80% debt roundabout. And that's actually pretty good. Like it's hard to get because if, so people that don't know the debt, the debt people, that's senior, those, that's senior debt. So that means if everything, like if something happened to the building, 
they would essentially get to take over the building because they are the first ones to get paid. They take the most risk, essentially. Um, they give you the most money out of anybody in the deal, but they're not necessarily making a ton of money off of that debt. So they may they may give you this 80% debt at 5%, 6%, whatever that is. So they're not their, – their return isn't a whole lot, but their risk is actually a whole lot. So in exchange for that risk, then they get – senior ownership of whatever happens to that building if something was to go bad. First position. First position, exactly. And then after that, a lot of times in the capital stack, and what the capital stack is, is all the debt essentially and how it's broken up. So you've got 80% debt from the bank. And then was there any mezzanine? So there was um, probably 10% mez debt. 10% mez debt. And now the mezzanine people, they get you know second priority over the building. So whatever is left, essentially the mezzanine people will probably take. Yep. Now the mezzanine people get a little bit more money, but don't take as much risk as the, as the main people because they're not putting up as much money. Yeah. But their interest rates are higher because they're in second position. And yeah. there was no delay. So like we had with um, our first position, with the, which was the bank, we had uh, what, 24 months for construction, which means that we're not paying anything until we draw, which you better be drawn right away because that means you're just sitting on a building. So uh, until we were drawing substantial amounts, it really wasn't that big of a deal. But the secondary loans, they started right away. Mm. So we had to start paying. We started actually paying them before we started paying um, the guys in the first position just because of how it was structured. So how do you go about finding mezzanine lenders? Because banks are the, are the first debt, right? The banks are the 80%. Easy to find, right? Like you go walk into any bank, and you guys had a bank in-house, so that was easy. Yep. Um, but the mezzanine folks, how do you find them? I mean, Northern Kentucky is pretty much uh, – when you want mez debt, you go to the catalytic fund. Um, and they're gap financing for projects that might not happen uh, without them being involved. I think it was worth every penny that we're paying them because – not only do they give you the mez debt, they give you a lot of the you know, background on the building, and they give you advice throughout the way. They did a lot of due diligence. Some consultation. Yeah, yeah and they worked with the city to get it done. I mean, our, our deal was unique because it had to be – it was it was, it was sec, it was segmented. We're talking about opportunity zones. The, the guy who we bought it from had to use um, the proceeds for another project, and he wanted to get it done so that he could take those capital gains – Enrolled into his new project, which was like also what we were an, talking about, which is yeah. also in an opportunity zone. Mm -hmm. And so we had to close that by the end of last year, or else he was going to lose five percent, five basis points. Yikes! So you guys were under the gun on this, yep. right? But then, because Catalytic Fund was involved, and because Republic was working with the city, also we were able to then extend out what we had to bring for the rest to close up the construction cost of it. We were able to extend that out until. It wound up. It was supposed to be the end of March, but it wound up with COVID and everything happening. It wound up being May. Thank God, because our end of it, we didn't. We we had people that kept going wishy washy and were going yeah. to invest, and then they weren't going to invest, and then they were going to invest, and then when it came time to 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 get the PPMs, the private placement memorandums together, which we were, it was such a small deal with our end of it, we didn't get official PPM. We got the next best thing through our, our attorney. Because it's like fifteen thousand dollars to do a BPM. Oh, keep that. Yeah. So, like, we didn't get final people in until the middle of March, but thank God we did because well, so I was I, that once 
there was a, there was a time where I literally, literally I was leaving to go visit a customer and we had, we were down to just needing $25,000 for the sparring capital part of it. And then when I l- turned off my phone, that's what we were at. When I got, when I landed in Atlanta an hour and a half later, we now needed a hundred thousand dollars. Whoa. Yeah. People dropped out. And I was like, that's nice when you turn your phone back on and it's like, Hey, we need a hundred grand now. Right. And then that same, but that same day I have had a conversation and the guys and the guy said, what do you need to fill out your round? And I said, I think we need about a hundred thousand dollars. And he said, well, I no, I'm sorry. We still need a hundred and, um, 125,000. He said, I can give you 125 right now. Whoa. I know. That's a nice friend. I know. I was like, I was like, great, fantastic. Well, what happens that's, in that's, these that's, a, that's just the roller coaster that you're on. That's crazy. So you guys, eighty percent of the building's debt. Well, uh, senior debt. Then you've got the mezzanine debt. Well, it's, it's, well, it's probably seventy percent yeah. first position, ten percent second position. We brought eight hundred thousand, and we brought eight hundred thousand in. So you got eight hundred thousand. The building was what four hundred grand or four million, something like that. Uh, it was. It was um, two million purchase, and then we're putting in another two point eight. But yeah, you had to get yeah. Financing for yep. the construction plus yep. the yep. building, right? So all, yeah. And I'll be all, it'll be about 4.8. Well, damn it. If you guys paid $2 million for that building, I wonder what my shit's worth. I'll give you 500 today. <laughs> yeah, I bet. All it is is math. Just do your net operating income divided by the cap rate. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. I'm doing all right. So, yeah. So, you guys. Okay. So, what happens if you do all your numbers and you all of a sudden you're, you're, you're getting into construction and you go over? Who do you go to first? Do you go to the bank first? Do you go to the mezzanine people again? Do you? I would go to the mezzanine people first. Mezzanine people first. Because yep. they really, they're, they, at least in your case, because you're going to Catalytic Fund, they not only want a return on this money, but they want to see the project happen. Yeah. So they're, they're incentivized that way as well. So we, it's another thing where we're, Again, in a very unique situation. So uh, the architect on on the job is work architecture, a good friend of mine, Tyler Watkins. So he's doing the architecture work in his part of the share is also the GC of the building, which is Nick Manning of Manning Contracting. So he's both the GC and an investor in the building. So he has um, just as much desire as I do to keep everything in budget and Nick's crew has been awesome. Nick has been awesome. And uh, I think that sort of sets us aside as a group to have those guys in it because you have the architect, you have the GC, you have the developer all as one entity, main investors in this. Oh, and investors. Yeah. Um, And we have the S kickers too. So you have, you know, um, you have a guy named, I don't know if if we're allowed to say the guy, the the investor's names or not, but a guy named Mohammed. Mm Mm-hmm. Who was uh, was with General Electric for mm-hmm. a long time? Opened, I know Mohammed. Op- yeah, yeah. Opened up a division, and um, you know he's very analytics numbers. I want Gantt charts. I need this. I need that. In, in a very polite, passive way, but it's I need these numbers. I, I invested a lot of money in this building with you guys. I want to know what's going on. And you have Ben, our third partner in sparring capital, and he doesn't have the emotional ability to like just pump the brakes. It's why are we not here? Why is this not going the way it's supposed to go? Why is this? Why is that? Why is this? Why is that? And so you need to, like we've been talking about, you need an ass kicker for projects. And that's what we have. We have two ass kickers, both with their own, like one's more of a carrot, one's more of a stick, but it keeps you, it keeps you in the loop too. So you have, 
the ability for other investors to go right to the GC who's also investing in the project and say, hey, I need these numbers. You have a GC who is investing with these guys and saying, I'll get you the numbers. Just chill yeah. out for a second. Like there's that there's that ability to interact via email to where there's like a healthy dialogue and you don't get that in any other. That's another reason why I'm saying if you're going to do commercial, you better be educated because we had to do a lot of moving parts to make this one work financially. And the dynamic inside of the investor group is unique. So, so you need to network. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, if you want to get into a commercial or do any kind of a serious project, I mean, your suggestion is, hey, get into something small. Maybe get into maybe a little resident or a little uh, retail on the first floor and then a couple apartments because the apartments, you know, they're probably going to stay more occupied longer than maybe that that downstairs. I mean, it might yeah, be. Because generally those guys, I mean, what a, I see these small retailers of, yeah, going 60, in and out. 60% of businesses close after the first yeah. year or something. So you might sign a three or four year, five year lease with somebody, but I mean, if their business sucks and it goes under, you're, yeah. you're asked out. I yeah, mean, these people upstairs luck. still need to live somewhere. So, yeah. um, you know, that it would, it would offer some, some, some help because if you just have a retail space, then you're completely relying on that business or those businesses in your retail space, mini mall or whatever you invested in. It's good to have a little residential maybe tied in with a project, but then, Later on, as you grow, you need to meet investors. You need to find those investors somewhere. I mean, you guys have great networks of people who are interested in this kind of thing and want to see, you know, they're in the community. They want to see Kentucky grow. They know you guys are legit, so they're willing to invest with you. So anyone who's listening to the podcast needs to realize you got to find money. You've got to find people, and you've got to be okay asking for money, and you've got to be confident and the fact that your project's going to go through, but you got to have your numbers together. You get a guy like Muhammad who knows how to run numbers – I mean, he's a CEO of a major company, uh, you know, a division of a major company. He knows how to put some numbers together. I mean, you got to have your, you got to have your shit together. Yep. You can't just go into these projects like, oh, I want to do a commercial building and here's, you know, here's, here's what I think I'm going to make on it. Like, that's not good enough. Like, you got to step it up. You got to, if, you, if you're going to be the one, if you're going to go do it, you're going to have to have, bring along somebody with you. And you're, this is what I learned really fast is that you go in thinking you're going to get a hundred percent of the profit or whatever it is, or make up some sweet deal where you're getting like 60% of the profit after profit shares and all this other stuff. And, and you're not, no. you're just going to keep giving away and giving you're going to put away, in a lot of work for the return you're going to end up getting. Because I mean, it's, yeah, this is why we did it. We, that's what we talked about. We got to get this done because this is going to be our first one. We're going to show that we can do it the right way. We're going to show that we can bring in what we say we're going to bring in. We're going to pay our investors, what we said we're going to pay our investors. And we're going to like the building itself should build our reputation. What people like, it should just, it should get people interested in who we are. How we treat the people is how we're going to keep investors keep coming back. Like Joe's, Joe's got a, his network is ridiculous. People want to be in every single deal he does because he delivers. Yeah, they they make it happen. I mean, he he, he closed off at the end of our conversation with he paid back a million dollars in debt with fourteen percent interest to people, not because they were expecting it or because. Uh, he had promised it or anything like that, but because he felt like it was the right thing to do because he'd screwed up and he'd cost the money. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, it's that, it's that type, site, that same type of mind frame of seeing a lot of this right stuff way. is, yeah, do it the right way. I mean, this, this is really interesting to me too, because I'm not in the same position you guys are in. Cause I bought this building just straight up and it didn't, it wasn't that much because essentially the state was selling it. Right. Yep. And they needed to get rid of it. So I got a really good deal on it. And then I'm 100% owner, you know, like I don't have anybody else that I have to give a return to or any of that stuff. 
So, you know, I'm just kind of doing my thing, right? But I also have to take on the burden of all of the costs. So when this place was sitting empty, when I first bought it, you know, I'm dishing out money for taxes because they're ridiculous and a bunch of other stuff to keep the place going. I don't have anybody else that is going to help me out with that, you know? So, I mean, people could go in on some of these deals, but you got to have cash in order to do that. You got to be able to come into something like this, like a deal like I did and pay cash. Because if somebody's if somebody's giving you a break on something, they want to get paid right away, and they don't want to wait for you to mess around with financing. Um, you know, and on your guys's deal, it sounded like the guy that was selling that he was under the gun. Like you guys had to get it together, and you're trying to you know corral cats essentially. And oh, this guy said he was in for twenty five. Now he's only in for ten. This guy said he was in for a hundred. Now he's only in for fifty. This guy's completely out. Like that seems like a pain in the ass. <laughs> like that's stressful as shit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I was working, you know, get done with my day at five o'clock, and then I was doing investor calls for that for the for that two week period. I was probably doing investor calls three hours a week, three hours a night. Wow. Um, just trying like they all had questions, and I had to have answers for them. Yeah, and now not only that, I mean, your 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 work is not done. I mean, now you've got to manage now construction. We to, now we have to yeah. deliver. I mean, like, not necessarily manage construction, but you know what's going on, and you yeah. go down there and you check out what's going on, and you're saying, "Hey, you guys, getting this thing done that you said you were going to get done." You know how that process works. Then on top of that, you got to find operators who are willing to run your co-working space, or you need to find, you know, tenants for all the office space that you've got during COVID. Yep. So I mean, not uh, you know, it's a tall task. It's a tall task, and there's a lot of risk in it, and you got to be able to stomach the risk. And that's what a lot of people don't understand, especially going from, you know, for me, I went from uh, residential flips to residential single-family rentals to multifamily rentals to mixed commercial, and this is sort of my next step up to a full commercial building. And you just got to get comfortable with each step that you take. Um and it's baby steps. You're not going to go out and buy a two million dollar building off rip. No. Like you're you're gonna you're gonna build up to this just like you did, yep. and you're gonna learn and you're gonna fail at some stuff and you're gonna do all right. And depending on how the economy does, you can't prepare for something like you know the housing market crash. You didn't know the subprime you know mortgage situation was gonna freaking collapse. You know when you first started buying properties, I started buying properties around the same time you started buying properties right before 2007, 2006, 2007. Everything took a dump, right? Nobody could prepare for that. Nobody could prepare for COVID. There's things that you don't understand that are going to probably happen in every 10 years or something. It seems like something crazy happens, you know? Um, before the 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 um, the housing crisis, it was 9-11, right? And it was the, and, and it was the, uh, before that, it was, uh, it was the, the dot-com bubble, you know? It's like every 10 years, some crazy shit happens, you know? Which every, everybody goes into a huge panic. That's when you want to be buying shit, yeah. though. When, when everybody's freaking fear, out. There's fear, there's opportunity. Yep. Yep, yep. You buy when there's blood in the streets, right? Yep. I think that's what Rockefeller said. Rockefeller or Buffett or somebody said that. Some, somebody that was a lot of money said that. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess to wrap this up, hey, if you're looking to get in commercial, understand there's a lot of stress involved. Don't jump into huge projects. Don't think you have to be, you know, a huge, you know, real estate developer or anything right away. You know, take baby steps. It's okay to take baby steps. You don't have to take a ton and ton of risk, but build up your reputation Get some people to trust you, and then you're going to have investors down the road. If, and if you're one of those people that has to do everything by themselves, just stay away. You're going to have to you're, – A, you're going to have to give away a lot of ego, and you're going to have to find someone who knows what they're doing. You have to listen to them because you don't know everything. And even if you know everything, if you can't communicate it, 
and most people with huge egos can't communicate it, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to want to be a part of your project. And the second thing is, is that if you don't know what you're doing, you need to get a mentor just so, just, just so, you, just so you can follow their footsteps. I, I, I think the best way you could possibly do it is if you don't have the money to invest in someone else's deal first at first, find a way that you can add value to the deal, whether it's being a bookkeeper or running down there and make sure that something with the property or if it's just sweeping and, and doing just like the maintenance around the building just to be part of the deal to begin with and then go from there, ingratiate yourself that way because there's no reason you can't get involved. There's no reason you can't be part of it and there's no reason you can't grow. Um, you just have to find where you fit in and you have to be willing to shut up and listen. And as long as you're willing to shut up and listen and bring value, then people are going to want to be around you and keep you, keep, keep you, you know, keep, keep being part of your deal. And then once you deliver, even then word of mouth comes around. So that's where we're at. Yeah. Going to deliver. So that word of mouth comes around and people want to do more with us. So Joe, close this out. Sage advice. What do you have for the people? What have you learned? Is there something you could like leave this pot, leave with the people as this podcast closes out? I'd say be able to adapt quickly, recognize that there's going to be a problem or an issue and be able to pivot and, and, take it into a new direction fairly seamlessly that and surrounding yourself with like-minded people and in here in a small podcast room with you guys is, you know, something that everybody needs to do. You got to figure out what you want to do and find the people that also want to do that thing. Yeah. And understand you don't have to have everything figured out. Things are going to happen just like with a startup, you end up pivoting, whatever you thought your badass idea was when you first started it's going to change three times before you land on something that, or whatever, before you land on something that actually works. I mean, you're going to have unknowns, things that come up that you weren't expecting. Fucking tornado flies through there. You know, you don't know. Like yeah. there's a car comes off the curb and runs into the front of the building. Shit happens, you know, and, and there's just stuff you can't, you, you could be the most detailed person on earth. And there's things that are going to happen that you just don't expect, you know? Or there, or there's Fucking a, case of COVID comes through all your workers. Next thing you know, they can't show up for two weeks. Or you there's know? going to be an opportunity that you can't afford to give up. Yeah. And you're going to have to be ready to go. You're that's to, true. And if, I mean, that's what company, that's what a, a startup that that we know is, they had to do. Mm -hmm. oh, Oppor yeah. Opportunity came up and they, <laughs> they right. took it. That's right. So anyway, yeah, guys. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming out, Joe, on short notice. Um, you know, we try to get you in a little bit before Christmas here. It's, it's, you know, tomorrow's Christmas Eve. So it's awesome. We could get a guest in here to, to do this podcast so that people have something to listen to before the new year. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. I think the next one's going to be us talking about our, uh, what we're going to do in 2021. Yes. Yeah. That'll be, now that'll gonna, be season two. That's to start how side hustle Cincinnati is going to be Kyle and Steve, Kyle and Adam start making some real money. On the side hustle. Oh, I know. Yeah, there's some things, some dump trailers we need to be buying. There's some affiliate marketing we need to do. Uh, we got a couple things that lined up. We're learning. I may need to uh, dust off the old stripping skills. Oh, yeah, there you go. Just to yeah, have a backup plan, a little backup cash. Yeah. Yeah. The old stripping skills? 2021. Who cares how old you are? The 40s, probably, probably Mexico. Something is telling us <laughs> that happened in Mexico. 40 is the new 25. I had to get pay my way through college somehow. There you go. Then we're gonna go over to the we're gonna go over to the Dollar Tree and start buying some books for a buck and sell them on Amazon for fifteen dollars. Gary B. Hustle. <laughs> some dice. Right, some Merry, Dungeons and Dragons dice. Merry Christmas and happy holidays, folks. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you.